Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by actor, filmmaker, musician, Jack Kilmer. Jack, you may know from his performances in Lords of Chaos, Palo Alto, and he's narrated the really beautiful documentary biopic Val about his dad, the OG actor Val Kilmer. On the podcast, we spoke about making the documentary, our mutual obsession with Michael Mann and Harmony Kareen. He took me through some records he just bought. We spoke about our dad's mutual obsessions with consumer electronics. And we spoke about Crocs. Here's me and Jack Kilmer. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet well, you. E meet you, as they say. Yeah. What are you doing in New York? Yeah, so I'm here in in Brooklyn doing um I don't know if I should be talking about it, but why not? I'm I'm shooting Law and Order. Sick. What yeah. is it? Law and Order SU is it SUV or it's not SVU. SVU, not not the vehicle. <laughs> it's the return of Elliot Stabler in organized crime. That sounds fun, man. Yes, it's very fun. I um, remember, didn't James Franco do lots of? Uh, was it he? What show did he do that he was a uh, regular on? Um, yeah, well, so the uh, the first thing that came into my head when I got this job was was Franco because he he was on a soap for ages and he loved his soap and he this he had already reached a certain level of fame and he he just wanted to learn and to be on set so he went and and did this I, I forget which soap it was but it was shot in New York and yeah I think it was like it. A, it wasn't ER but it was something I think it was a hospital drama. Yeah, something like that. Because yeah. I remember um, uh, Danny Boyle, he wanted to audition for um, 127 Hours and he fucked up his first audition. I think he was like, he had to do it last minute or he was jet lagged or something. And then Danny Boyle was like, you just, this isn't just right. And then he gave him an, another set of pages and said, let me go again. And he's like, these are whole new pages. There's no way you're going to be able to nail this, dude. Not to be rude, but maybe we should just call it quits. But since he had done the um, TV show, he just knew how to learn pages super quickly and smash out loads of dialogue in a short space of time and just have it stick in his head. So he came back and just nailed it, but he totally said it. it was his TV training that totally gave him the skills to take in all those pages so quickly in such a short space of time. Absolutely, yeah. And the you know all the all the kind of tried and true uh, movie set classic like movie set things about about these shows like they they use those old cameras and they often set up multiple cameras. So they get all your coverage at once. Sick. Yeah, so that's really why they can get, move so yeah. quickly that they have all your angles to assemble yeah, and it's later. Cool. Yeah, like I was looking forward to seeing that because, you know, Law & Order, it has such a classic feel to it. Like, the I don't know what camera they use forever on SVU, but now they, they've slightly updated it, but they shoot it in a similar way where they, now they're just all, there's two guys on handhelds. 
with like small Alexas and they just, they get it pretty much in two, three takes, the whole, all the coverage. And then they're moving on so fast. Like that's so um, cool. And they, yeah, they do that. I mean, it's the same with the writer's room where I, I've heard like crazy stories that it's like hundreds of people and they like, they have this formula that just really works and they don't know where it's going to go. And so you get like, I've been getting rewrites like every day, which just keeps it so much, so interesting. Like to, to just on, read them. Yeah. Is it not on Spanish soaps where if the audience don't like you, they'll kill you instantly just to satisfy the fans. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I was, I, <laughs> I was, um, I was thinking about that and, um, you know, I, I was very grateful to do one episode and, um, but there was a big question mark at the end of my episode. So I was like, wonder what they're going to do. They actually ended up bringing me back for another episode, but I won't disclose what happens, but they, they have, they find creative ways to take care of your plot line. Cool. <laughs> very <laughs> fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just having a ball on this on this shoot. So I've done TV before, but this is the biggest role I've done on a on a TV show. So it's very exciting for me. So how did you how did we get on your radar? Yeah. So um I just started following following you guys on Instagram. And um, you know, the posts were just really quality and I'm always interested in the merch, you know, it seemed like there was a scene that I would, I would like to be a part of going on. Um, and then I discovered the pod and yeah, I just, it's cool. And it's rare when you find something that is putting out what you want to see. Great. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me who likes it. <laughs> Yeah, but I also I'm I don't I didn't do that much research on you guys. I'm not sure quite like quite what you guys are up to. I just know that I like it and I would like to know more about it. Oh cool. So we're a, Yeah. Mostly well, we started off as a pop-up cinema based in London. Just I started screening movies in a dive bar in East London, which is like hipster Brooklyn of London. And then we just organically expanded kind of quickly to just doing more screenings and more venues, but then moving to art house cinemas and then moving to like cultural institutions like British Film Institute. And then, yeah, everything just grew from there. Then I was like, I, I wanted to do a podcast. Like I imagine like Mark Barron's podcast, but just for straight movie geek talk for an hour nice yeah and and then with the merch and the second hand store and stuff it was just i kept on just buying cool shit that i liked and people liked it as well and i was like well maybe we can have like a, a little mini curated store of just weird film memorabilia and vhs tapes and things like that that i enjoy and hopefully other people will as well just like a nice curated second hand store Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. So I'm glad I was kind of on the money then. It's like, I'm glad it's just something that, you know, is in, is driven by love for movies and, and, um, you know, just nerding out about, about films. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and we know exactly, we had, yeah. we had something similar. We've had a, there's been a few things like that in LA. Like, I mean, there's obviously all the big guys like, um, you know, I forget who runs it, but they, they put on movies at the Egyptian, the arrow and like they partner with Tarantino and all of his, he's buying up all those theaters now and they'll, they'll play like, they'll do like a big Cassavetes week or there, you know, there's a scene like that in LA, but it's much more grandfathered in. Yeah. At this point. And there used to be the silent movie theater, which was like, you know, I saw the very first art house movie I ever saw was Red Desert at the silent movie theater. Oh, that's the you know, Braindead space now, right? 
Was that the one that um, became yeah. Cine Family and then? Yes, it was Cine Family. Now it's something else. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, now it's uh, Brain Dead. You know, the, kind of similar to Supreme. Um, those okay, guys yeah. have those guys have bought the cinema, but their programming is insane. Their okay, so they're really doing, impressive. Okay, cool. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad they're doing something at that space. It's such a great space. But um, but yeah, I like. There's been like. Maybe that's why I was gravitated towards you guys because there hasn't been a scene like it's the same with the music scene in LA. There hasn't been a real indie independent scene in LA for a long time. You know, is there even spaces left to do like cool DIY shit in LA, or is it all just too expensive? I don't know. I think people have have been inside long enough now that there there's some stuff. I can feel some stuff coming around the corner which is exciting and i've been doing stuff like trying to just like screen movies at my house and invite people over just to like because i miss going to the movies <laughs> like although i tried i watched <laughs> the last time i did that i showed naked and that's like my favorite movie i watch it once a year and um and i hadn't seen it in a couple of years and definitely hadn't seen it since the me, me too movement popped off. And I, I was amazed how it aged so badly. Um, there's just, there's like a whole plot line in that movie. That's just so like canceled, <laughs> but it, it's still like my favorite. The creepy landlord. Or... Yes. The, the, all the creepies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all the creepy stuff in it. <laughs> I mean, he David Lewis is a very creepy character, but like, I think like back when it was made, they didn't. They were just like, "Oh, this is just like gonna make him more creepy," which is good in like a punk way. You know, I, I want to get back in the in the movie theater. I saw I saw Card Counter here in New York on my day off. What do you, I thought it was great? Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all the like Paul Schrader. Um darkness that you want um it's kind of like i see it as like the same character from taxi driver to like first reform uh yeah he's just, light sleeper all yeah. those just i i'm it's so funny my friend who works with me he's just moved into a new apartment and he was like man i just wanted to i wanted a really barren studio space just like all portrayed yeah. as lonely men <laughs> and Dude. i was like what's well, you in your journal and just like free books and <laughs> like a boom box he's like exactly just minimal oh, yeah. lonely dude <laughs> just in a space it there's something about yeah for being a guy and watching those movies there's something that you like you really connect with about just like moving to a new space and yeah just having that barren that minimalist space <laughs> where your thoughts just like <laughs> echo around um and the the wrapping of the the, oh, the furniture? furniture is so what intense yeah. <laughs> like do you, do you remember when they when he goes he wraps the um what's his name's character um it was the first time where you wrapped someone else's room it was the god who's the actor who oh what william defoe yeah, he wraps William Defoe's house, and you're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> 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 it's like, like, you walk in that really lovely house that he lives in, and like Oscar Isaac just wrapped it. You're like, "Oh god!" <laughs> yeah, it's such a chilling image, isn't it? Yeah, and just moving from um, motel to motel, but every time just completely locking it down with the white material and binding and stuff. It's just crazy. It all, it's sort of like, it's really like existential to watch the Paul Schrader stuff now because it's because he's boring, like long shots that are in these, that, you know, like, in these boxes. And, um, you know, you sort of feel like you are reading like meditations or something. Yeah, all the journal <laughs> entries are so intense. But he never yeah. grew up watching movies as a kid. Oh wow! Him and Cronenberg both never watched movies as a kid growing up, so we didn't have that 
Jaws, E.T., Goonies moments of cinema. So I, yeah. I, he's coming at it from a real co- <laughs> kind of cold, hardened, existential um, viewpoint and approach, which is why there's just... I, I, I think that just informs his kind of nihilistic approach to filmmaking, that he never had those beautiful Hollywood moments, or, you know, when you're a kid watching something super magical and exciting. Yeah, like imagine if you just got into movies like in your late twenties or something, you'd have a completely different yeah energy. It would it would seem like a very adult like crazy thing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like when you meet. We I remember meeting someone at university who just didn't listen to music, and I was like, "That's terrifying." He's like, "I don't like it." Well, yeah. There's something deep going on there. I, I I didn't want to pry. I was like, okay, that's fine. But ooh, how strange and sad. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, David Bowie's son says he doesn't listen to music, but I don't know if that's just a line that he does. He addresses to the press like, "My dad's a genius, and I don't want to have to get grilled to my music taste and stuff." Maybe he just listens to pop bangers or something in his private life and doesn't have that. You know that isn't into punk or avant-garde music or yeah it could be could be just like a a boundary that he has with his dad now imagine like anytime you hear a pop a rock and roll song you just think of your dad and i bet i bet he does love music really but he just like tries to avoid the the rock and roll the cliche stuff (laughs) yeah yeah and you know yeah i guess grieving you know too yeah, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's just like being the son of any famous musician and stuff that you're just gonna get grilled twenty four seven about, or, or or maybe it will just segue into, you know. So do you remember when your dad was recording the, the low album or something? And it'll probably just maybe it's just a a high boundary you can put up just to shut that shit down. Yeah, I had a I had a, hung out with this friend of mine recently. I'm not gonna say. Who, but her dad is a uh, really, really famous rock star who passed away recently. And she, everyone was staying at her house and she had all these artists come coming through. And it was a very sort of art, artsy vibe, but she said no guitars. And everyone was like, well, aren't, isn't this like an artist compound? And she's like, if I hear a guitar, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be set off. Wow. And I, yeah, and we were like, well, that's crazy. Like, this is <laughs> be crazy just to bring a bunch of synths then and just like. You didn't say anything about <laughs> IDM. Yeah, let's just, yeah. Make some, <laughs> let's just yeah. make some programming. Yeah, just like rock out on synths. What did you grow up watching as a teenager? I mean, I'd like to say that I went, I didn't really get into art house stuff until like my late or mid, sorry, early twenties. But my parents are both actors and they, they love drama and they love movies and they love like classic movies. My mom loves old, like now Voyager and all the Bogart stuff. But she also grew up in England in the 80s. So she like knew Danny Boyle and um, all the like Guy Ritchie and like, what's his name? Um, Gary Oldman and all those guys. Like she grew up with, she grew up with all those guys. So she has a real British new wave background. And, And my dad just loves like classic, like, john hughes stuff and like he loves comedies too like judd apatow and like kind of he raised me watching all those comedies and um and big like 
Disney movies. And then my mom grew up, you know, so on the dole in the eighties in England. And she would show me like, I remember two movies that really messed me up as a kid were like this movie called Kess. Oh my God. Yeah. Where it's about this boy who's, you know, this poor kid and he just has makes this best friend with this falcon that he finds and his brother kills like his brother like bullies and like kills the bird yeah let me and just it was, destroy it, the only thing you love <laughs> it ripped my heart out of my chest and was like and then my mom was like okay you can go to bed now and i was just like <laughs> but so she always showed me stuff that was really like dramatic and intense as a young a young age and another one that really had a big impression on me was this movie shine the Have you seen jeffrey wright movie with the about the piano player yeah 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 that movie was uh another one that was really big when i was a kid and um yeah, another one I was obsessed with growing up was this movie called My Side of the Mountain. And I don't I know if seen anyone's that. seen no. this movie. It's so good, though. It's about... Looking it up. It's, a, it's this kid, and he runs away from home, and then he learns how to live off of the land at, like, age 12 or something. And he does a year alone in the wilderness. And this was my favorite movie as a kid. I watched it. I, I wore out the VHS or whatever, and and um, and he sort of like after like six months, he like starts losing his mind and has all these visions, and like, he's just like, um, and again, he like he has this like eagle that he like a falcon that becomes his like best mate, and. Um, my mom, my parents were always very perverse where they would like, like Watership Down was like my Star Wars or something. Like they wouldn't, instead of showing me the like kid stuff, they would give me like Watership Down. And I remember being watching the rabbits and being like, this is like totally crazy. Way too heavy. That's still a heavy movie. That Dude, big yeah. fight in the Warren with like the... <laughs> You know, you know the fucked up gnarly rabbit. Yeah, that gets ate by the really and the <laughs> yeah the really sweet rabbit, and then uh, even the um the um Paul Simon Bright Eyes song, even that the real surreal analog um animation and stuff is yeah. really kind of creepy and haunting. Totally, and like in, and and my like favorite Christmas movie was also very weird, like. What's the one where the boy is, it's like, I'm walking in the air and the boy's like floating. Oh, the snowman? It. Snowman? Yeah, where he just fucking melts. <laughs> Dude, yeah, yeah. Like, I would watch that all the time and he would be for, like, that music where he's like, I'm walking in the air. That tripped me out as a kid. Blew yeah, my that's mind. a really haunting song. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then he was um, like a weird um, child protege singer. Yeah, that movie's well. crazy yeah heavy movie but I, I that wizard of oz was really big for me um but that's early and then god i know i'm just going rambling now but but then later you know when i got the first movies that like my sister i have an older sister who showed me all the like punk and like indie music and stuff like she like showed me the velvet underground and stuff yeah, I'd have called older brother who gave me the exact same path. Dude, yeah, so it's so important. So she she was like, she would be watching weird stuff like Gus Van Zandt stuff and Larry Clark. And then I got into that stuff and I was getting into skateboarding and all that, that stuff. And so, you know, like, all of that, Larry Clark, and and of course, Gummo behind your head kind of changed a lot of people's life, like around me when that movie and when people started watching that, like changed like everyone's aesthetic like overnight. See, I was saying to someone the other day that because we um, 
Gummo was the first movie. Maybe well, Natural Born Killers had it as well, but Gummo was the first movie that had like really fucked up, degraded VHS footage in it. Polaroids, like eight yeah. millimeter and stuff, like the weird voiceover and almost found footage. That and obviously that really bled into like art and fashion and music videos and stuff. Then Trash Humpers totally pioneered the whole the the VHS Renaissance and all the you know there's like the apps on the phones now for the VHS replication and like the tracking going wavy and like the color bars and stuff and then Spring Breakers completely pioneered that whole neon drenched trap look that's in every well neo noir and every like trap music video and stuff now oh yeah he's always totally, been like yeah, about like, five years way ahead of culture and aesthetics yeah and i love it too because it's not like i didn't even get into it like changed like people's aesthetic and their like you said like fashion and stuff like that but i have a cool i have a cool little connection to the trash humpers thing which is that um there's this movie documentary about my dad that just came out and the director of that he's an editor and he actually was the one who harmony hired to do all the vhs stuff on trash humpers because he randomly had this like specialized he used to work in like a vhs or something in the 90s and he's like oh yeah i actually could find all this equipment and so he did that and my the reason one of the reasons why i worked on my dad's documentary was we had all this all this archive footage of VHS tapes. So he was really good at preserving document, you know, taking it on, making it digital and stuff like that. Um, but, but yeah, Trash Humpers was where he like learned how to do all that stuff. And like just watching him you know, now he has like a career off of this. He's managed to like get a lot of work from that. And I don't even know if that many people saw tra Trash Humpers. Trash Humpers is but, huge for like, me. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that movie. I remember. Um, okay. Super weird question for you. The editor, what's his name? Something Scott? Leo Scott. Yeah. Leo Scott. When I interviewed Harmony Curran, he said the editor of trash humpers was like blind in one eye could barely see the screen and obviously i'm thinking how the fuck can an editor be blind so i was just wondering is your editor half blind or is this one no of <laughs> it, it's not it's not true um he may have had he may have had someone else work that may be true he may have had other people working on it because i know there was other editors working right. on that and I think what Harmony was doing back then was like he knew that he needed a lot of editing because Trash Humbers was such a crazy movie that yeah. like he knew he needed a lot of editors. So he may have had a blind editor. On He's that. the king of the crazy story. And sometimes yeah. it's true and sometimes it's not. But also he could have just been saying, I could see him just sort of maybe he was thinking of writing. He's like, oh, that's a cool idea. Like, find it underneath. <laughs> yeah, because I remember <laughs> I, I, I had this other crazy thing where when I was, I met him like three times. It's really weird. And the first time I met him, he was out shopping for trainers in London with David Blaine. Oh, word. Yeah, I saw photos from that. Yes. Did you post photos? From yeah, that? that that was it. Oh, I loved those. I loved those photos. I sent and, them to like my friends being like, this is what a cool moment to run into these two. Because this was like pre-internet. You know, obviously now if you were out and you maybe tagged you're in a certain bar or whatever, you can kind of, you can maybe work out if someone's in town if you see them posting on socials. But this was just like, uh, it took me like, I was, I, I was frozen for like a minute. Like, one, why the fuck is David Blaine <laughs> trying on all these trainers? He had like 15 boxes of trainers around him. And then I saw Corinne was with him and I was like, I just don't get why they're here. And then I snapped out and I was like, fuck it, I'm going in. And I was like, hey, Harmony, huge fan. And then he said to me, I'm working on this. I said, what are you working on next? And he said, I'm working on this movie and it's nuns jumping out of planes. 
and and their yeah. hope is going to bring them to the ground. And I'm also working on a Polaroid camera that I want to turn into a film camera. And I came back to film school the next week and was like, I met Harmony Green and this is crazy. And he's working on this film about nuns jumping out of buildings. And everyone in film school was so cynical and like, oh, he's just fucking with you, dude. You probably came in there with all your fanboy energy and he just probably fed you some craziness. And then I was like, well, I kind of felt sincerity from him. And they're like, you would because you're so fucking (laughs) up, up, up his ass and you're such a super fan. You probably would have believed it. And then, then he went silent for like 10 years and then he came back with Mr. Lonely and 40 minutes into the film, I see these nuns and I'm yeah, like, exactly. and I was like, oh my God. And then I saw him afterwards and I was like, Hey man, you didn't lie to me. And he was like, no way, dude. And I walked away and I realized he has no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> dude, that's such a great moment. Um, and I love that story. And yeah, it's true. Like he did bring the nuns. The nuns have been, I think, brought back in a few different things he's done. And like I was just I was just thinking about like there were some old interviews with him on crutches. And then there's crutches a little bit in gummo, I think. And then he brought it back in some of his short, definitely in trash humpers. He's been trying to push the crutches for so long. And like I think he hasn't finally <laughs> he hasn't really like realized this crutch thing that he's doing, but he like I think he will one day. The crutches is when I think he broke his... Do you remember that crazy story that he was filming? He was saying that he wanted to take the slapstick vaudeville thing to another level. Where he just gets knocked (laughs) the fuck out. And he used to go around (laughs) provoking fights with people. And like people in like bouncers in clubs and stuff. Just to get knocked out. But I think in... He got... Yeah, he broke... He fell in his ankle. So... He, he was on crutches for ages. So maybe yeah, that... Um, but no one's seen the footage of the fights. But I think, from what I've heard, when people have pressed him on it now, I think he was just doing a lot of drugs and a, and a lot of self-destruction. And uh, yeah. at the peak of his, you know, um, indie boy fame. Yeah. In like, well, because yeah. he had like the indie world and the art world and all the... Yeah. Everyone was wanting a piece of him for a while. So I think he just kind of almost self-imploded. Yeah. But I love that post you you made because it was almost like you had journaled it all those years before social media because it was such a crazy moment to like run into my girlfriend had a disposable camera. And I was like, what are the it was just all the Yeah, it was a crazy day because I was I remember I passed, I was doing a media course in college before I went to film school, passed everything. And my mom really sweetly gave me like a grip of money and was like, you did great this year. Go buy yourself a bunch of CDs or DVDs, whatever you want to do. But please buy some new trainers because these Converse, you know, these grunge beat up Converse are just embarrassing right now. So please get yourself new trainers. That's the one, that's just the one part of the deal. And I don't know what was with me. I was going from like trainer shop to trainer shop, not finding anything that was a vibe. And then I was, this was like the fifth trainer shop I was in at that perfect moment. And I was like, what the fuck? And my girlfriend at the time had a disposable camera. And it was really funny because we had a photo and then David Blaine walked into the shop. And I was like, yeah, can we just do one with me and Harmony real quick? <laughs> the fuck is- yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't Photoshop you and this is really important to me. So Blaine was like, okay, bro. And just went away and like tried on 10 more pairs of trainers. Yeah. He loves to be famous. So I have a <laughs> David Blaine story for you too, but I'm just going to hold on. I'm for sure. Be right back. Please. Excuse me. David Blaine. Yeah, so Blaine, so it's kind of a crazy story, and it reminds, I'm thinking of it because I'm in New York, 
And um, this was the, one of the very first times I've ever went to New York. I must have been, I think I was 13. And um, my dad was shooting something and he's like, come, you know, bring the kids. And so he, we came out here, but he, we were staying at David Blaine's apartment in uh, Midtown. And Blaine would like, we would go out to dinner with him and then he would like, just do his like street magic <laughs> with like strangers and like downtown and stuff. And, but the funniest part about this trip was that I was sleeping on the couch because, you know, it's not, it's a nice apartment, but it wasn't huge. And it's like sleeping on the couch and in his living room. And also in his living room was a giant oxygen deprivation pod tank. <laughs> so it was like, he would get into this like pod, like one of the like alien pods, and then like put on this apparatus, which would like shut slowly deprive him of oxygen. And he would like sleep like half the night in there. So I probably got like terrible sleep on, on this trip because I would wait, like I would like wake up and he'd be like, <laughs> like plugged into this like thing. <laughs> And um, yeah, and then I guess he went and did his um, big like magic trick, which is just like. Is this when he went underwater or like holding his breath underwater? Was it that one? Yeah. And it's so funny because he did, I remember he tried to do something in England and everyone was just like throwing stuff at him. That's when Harmony Corinne was there. He was on like, (laughs) yeah, that was so jokes. Yeah, and the English people are so funny too. They're just like, "What are you doing? Like, stop so cynical, suffering!" Just like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're doing, fuck you. We're not here. <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna reward you for suffering up there on your. I think it was no, like balancing. We're, we're, right? Yeah, no, we're just gonna throw rocks at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I I watched Val today. Beautiful documentary. Really hit me in the emotions. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, but was something so beautiful and poetic about you narrating since your dad lost his voice of you taking over and doing narration, speaking as him. Tell me, how did it come about? He's been filming himself since the dawn of the video camera. Yeah, so he had, you know, he had all this footage since the 70s and that he mostly filmed and a lot of home movies that his brothers all made where they would edit in camera and to really just get this portrait of him that's really unique and like intimate. And, um, but you know, my dad, so my dad, Leo, Leo and Harmony actually were supporting my dad in some of his stuff that he was doing five or 10 years ago. Like he was doing a one man show and he wanted to write things and, um do more interesting things like him and harmony did a short film together and um so leo would my dad would hire leo to do to edit some of his projects and just be like the in-house film maker you know like nowadays people have like teams like social media teams yeah where they like film you and you know so it's sort of like that um and over the last 10 years my dad's a lot has happened in my dad's life and he you know some of it tragic and some creative projects and he hasn't there's a lot of unfinished creative projects and a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. My dad is a really active guy and all of this stuff just sort of was sitting on the table. Like, what do we do with all this footage? And Leo being an editor that he is, he, he just started piecing it together and sort of like drawing like lines from the old footage from when my dad was a kid and through the, height of his fame to like the stuff he was doing now. And it just started becoming this big collage of like almost a movie. And then, and then um, 
and then there was like a three-year period where no one wanted the movie and you know it nearly failed it, i mean nearly just like yeah nearly n- didn't get made and um you know the last three years have been really hard work that's really paid off with finding this like great distribution with amazon and a24 who are just bringing it to an audience and uh but yeah i mean it's been like you know i've been i was in the movie throughout my life and then at a certain point i was like well i just work on this movie now and i became sort of like a producer on it and um Yeah, and so it really feels like from the heart and it was one of the you know it's like such a rare opportunity to be able to do something like this so I we had to do it and um yeah and people are responding to it really well because he my dad gets super vulnerable in it so yeah it's a beautiful <laughs> tribute man yeah. It's really nice. It's so great seeing you kind of forget there was an era where people weren't used to being filmed and really get goofy or get shy when the camera's pointed at them. It was funny because I, 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 is it maybe your grandmother who says, Can they hear my voice on that? And yeah. then freaks out. Yeah. My mom yeah. says that anytime when I've got. Even I had my po- podcast equipment set up. She's like, that's not picking up my voice, is it? I'm not going to be on this or you're not filming this and stuff like that. Yeah, isn't it funny how the, those videos have such a different quality to them and like a, a sort of nostalgic kind of like feeling about it because back then it was a different, not everyone was filmed all the time. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, it hit me heavy, man. Well, my dad used to be a photographer. Well, he used to always take photos. He was always the OG with the consumer electronics. Oh, nice. Always had a good camera. Well, he worked in TV and film, but he was always the go-to photographer at the wedding or the birthday party or whatever. He'd always take the photos. So we, we grew up with just like stacks and stacks of photos. And it was that crazy time when you'd send off your photos to get developed and they'd come back one or two weeks later, just through the post magically, and they'd give you like two more rolls of film to for your next shoot. And it'd be this kind of organic way of shooting. But there was a weird point when my dad just stopped <laughs> and just uh, like kind of gave up taking photos and stuff. And I've always tried to dig it out of him of what made him stop. It was, it was, I, I didn't know it was so abrupt, but. I know I I was fishing for this really deep personal moment or something of I realized it was worthless or something, but no, I don't know. He just kind of stopped in the early nineties and stuff. But yeah, it just reminded me of um the way my dad would just have archives and archives of everyone's in the family's birthday party, christening, wedding, lying around the house in boxes. Yeah, I think that's like that's something we were looking for in the movie was that was why did he because he my dad stopped too and we were looking for an answer for that a sort of deep answer and we didn't we didn't really find one but there definitely it was a combination of things like just like life you know and and he was also in those years he was getting to know iphones and learning how to do that and so he sort of came back to hit like we really encouraged him in the last few shoots of the movie to like go back to that energy that he had in Mm -hmm. the early nineties and do that with iPhones and with GoPros and stuff. And it was for him, it was a really nice coming home of like, like, Oh, this is, I remember how fun this is. And like, I let him, I finally let him film me again because he, I didn't let him film me for my teens because, you know, you don't want brace. You don't want to be wearing braces Oh, and yeah, like so- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever ask why he was so obsessed with film, filming and documenting things? I never asked him why because he the 
thing is with him, you don't really question why he does anything because he's so furiously compelled to do to be an actor and yeah. he's he's really his purpose he has such a purpose and he he loves attention so much <laughs> and, like, and it, but not to you know but in a way where he just like he no comes it feels alive. pure it's not like being uh you know like when they say like attention seeking it's just yeah he just seems so performative and theatrical natu- naturally yeah and he loves it and he comes alive through those moments i think the camera was always an audience for him and he's he one thing my dad isn't very good at is like i think my dad benefits a lot from watching himself actually because he um he doesn't he's moving so fast doesn't really have time to like think about how he feels about a lot of things he just reacts like he's very in the moment and he just goes a hundred percent. So I think the cat, the, you know, the camera for him was like, like I'm, you know, I play music and I like use my voice app all the time on my phone to um, record demos of things. And for him, that was just a way to do that. And I think when he wasn't working, it was like, he, he was like, I'm going to actually make my own movies. And I don't even need, uh, need you guys <laughs> because he was like his whole thing. If he could design a movie set, he would clone himself a hundred times and he would be the camera guy. And he would be the director. Yeah. And he would be all the other actors. So he, <laughs> like, that was his way of doing, was doing that. He's just like, why do I have to deal with all these people? I can just like play both parts, turn the camera around, film myself and like, <laughs> and just get my vision across because, you know, a guy has something to say and he wants to <laughs> be doing stuff all the time. Um, but even saying that he was like, he never really learned like how to use the camera, any of the cameras, because he's always had the newest camera. So he's like, but he never really takes the time to learn them. He comes at it very natural. Like he uses almost always auto. Yeah. Auto setting. Yeah. Auto focus and, focus stuff. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's my go-to. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I love now. I went and tried to use a film camera and it was fun to learn how to do it. But now I just have a super cheap digital camera and I set that thing to auto and it's just like fun. I just yeah. Go. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna do it. We're gonna try and do our own TV show of sorts. And I wanted. I was thinking about shooting it, and I was like, I want it to look like Collateral, all those early two thousands. That weird thing where it's like not, where it's not like analog, and it's not like sharp digital. It's this weird fucking middle stage where it looks almost like bad TV. We could do, we could actually do a whole podcast on collateral because I was talking to my friend about this who's a huge Michael Manhead. Yeah. And um, we were, I watched collateral for the first time recently and I was like immediately texted all my friends being like, you guys, this movie is really next level. Like, yeah. Because the, the way they shot it, it's so balls out and like, like let's not make this try to look like film no just lean into this weird lean in middle the zone of is. yeah yeah <laughs> and just fucking own it oh yeah and it was the first because i think a lot of movies from that time are like let's put like a bad filter on it and make it look like film or something yeah it's like lo-fi digital core that movie like the the shots of tom cruise when he's in when it goes to that weird like pov <laughs> or like cctv stuff yeah when he's on the escalator dude that is (laughs) so crazy i keep on sending my team on the group chat there's these photos of them shooting claral in the club and they've got these really weird chunky cameras and i was like us next year season one (laughs) with the white hair and shit and just but it's the same with um miami vice it's such a vibe the um michael mann's 
film with uh, Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell. It's just incredible. Even I the fact watch that, that one, yeah. dude, do it. But listen out. The dialogue is well. I know Harmony Korine's a big fan. He says he can watch it with the sound turned down. But this and there's another one he did afterwards. Black Hat, crazily yeah. shot on digital. In Miami Vice specifically, it starts off in the middle of a scene. So you're totally spun and you're thinking like, wait, did I skip a chapter on like my Blu-ray? Have I gone to like chapter two? Because this is just, I have no idea what's going on. And also the dialogue is so quiet, deliberately sunk down, but the gunshots are so loud. It's like it's been mixed by a maniac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's these really weird scenes. It's like, okay, we're going to go with it. I'm like, what the fuck are they saying? And then it's like, Brrr. it's like, oh, I can hear the gun though. So I, I, I don't know what he's on, but it's such a wild choice that I'm here for all of it. Yeah, you can almost see, you can in a lot of Michael Mann movies, you can see that they're movies and they're like, you know, props and like stuff weird. Because he just goes so hard with whatever the technology is. Like, um, but I watched, I watched Thief for the first time recently, Dude. which I love i think that's going maybe to be the, one best of the best soundtrack movies. ever made i'm obsessed Might be with one of soundtrack. the greatest movies of all time yeah like that scene um, with michael with james khan in the diner yeah where that monologue is fucking insane where he's talking about his prison experience so sick and the photo with willie nelson on it and then like, yeah it's just like you can see where he's been trying to kind of do that movie over and over again since thief where like like a man you know, with a certain set of skills who's great at what he's doing and yeah and the crime life and stuff it's such a great even mix. the photo yeah like the photo in thief is like jamie fox has that photo oh shit in, co- in collateral where he keeps going like this is my free- this is my dream and he's like holding yeah. this photo and like and then um yeah and i love how all the cops just have like slicked back hair and leather jackets like it's uh, some of the hardest looks of all time <laughs> collateral like we're like what's his name uh has what's his name um who's the hulk now eric banner no oh yeah oh shit mark ruffalo yeah ruffalo just has the hardest look of like chain and a beard yeah and like like a leather jacket <laughs> slicked hair <laughs> Yeah. I really like, have you seen Manhunter? You know what? That is that is like a cursed movie for me where I cannot watch it. Why? What's wrong with you? What's I wrong can't, with the film? I, I tried to even watch it the other night with my friend and we were both like, well, we're not ready for it. We can't do it. I don't know what it is, but we can't <laughs> like, I like, I'm like saving it or something. I can't, I don't know. Does it creep you out or is something grating on you or not not even that's the weird thing is i really want to see it i just can't like i can't get my i can't do it i don't know (laughs) oh i'm excited for when you do it it's the one of his best oh well yeah but yeah the gun back to the gunshot thing is like we saw a really cool a really good cut of heat at the um academy theater yeah and it was it was like one of you know sometimes they restore them and they're like worse. You're like, why'd they even do that? But yeah, there is a thing red- now with the um, airbrushing of a the new color they put over it is even Criterion is getting real beef for that of uh, oh really when the the color correction and just adding it a different tone to it and it's like this wasn't fucking shot like this. Why are you doing it? But yeah, exactly. I'm glad like to I was heat is being saved. Yeah, heat. They really cr- killed it. Um, and the sound at the academy theater was really good and they the gunshots were all real and live yeah live rounds blanks so you feel you really feel it and it, yeah and he's done i think he's been trying to do that like even since steve with like all the anytime there's a gunshot it's like super loud and crazy yeah <laughs> yeah of course, your dad's oh. got the fucking iconic scene where they come out of the bank. Yeah, it's sick too because they, I think they gave him like carte blanche to shoot in LA because of Miami Vice. Um, 
like he was one of the one of like three guys at the time who could actually shut down downtown LA and get a helicopter and shoot live so blanks sick. in downtown LA. It was like, <laughs> cause they were like, Oh, you did Miami vice. Like you're like, <laughs> you made us cool. <laughs> yeah. You're allowed to like, you can handle like a big set like this or something. Right. Um, and yeah, that was like something about working with like Shane black. That was cool. Is that he, because of uh, like lethal weapon and stuff. Yeah. He had like weird connections to like explosives and stuff. That he <laughs> just feel like he could be like, Oh yeah, I got like, we're allowed to just, we're going to blow it up today. Like, oh, of course you're in nice yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's so cool. That one of the few things about that movie that I enjoyed was just the, like sc- the scale was huge. Like, um, they had way they had way too much stuff that they even needed. They were they were just like, you know, like, yeah, just like old school Hollywood budget. Yeah, like huge budget. But yeah, um, one one of the things that I really got a kick out of watching your documentary was, um, when around the time of Gamo, around the time of college to before uni, every weekend I'd me and my pals would just buy lots of weed and watch movies. And Top Secret was one of our go-to stoner movies. No way. <laughs> that was just so... So it'd be like, you know, should we watch Gummo? Should we, should we watch this Wu-Tang documentary again? Or Top Secret? And Top Secret is just so fucking entertaining. I, I, I don't know if people are aware that your dad's comic timing and physical comedy delivery is just second to none he is absolute comedy master oh well thanks for recognizing that because that's his one of his biggest missions in life is to just let because he really comes from a a absurdist kind of comedy thing but the lines he's delivering in top secret and selling is just it yeah it's just fucking amazing and yeah and he's really my dad's really sensitive and he's like he got all these really serious roles and I think it really like, he was like, I just want to do comedies. This is like, and he's yeah. one of the funniest people I've ever met. Like he's, you know, he really lives to, for the comedy. <laughs> this, the scene in um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where he fires the gun from his crotch. Yeah fucking incredible one of a almost <laughs> like one of those almost fell out of my seat laughing in the cinema moments and then just brought it back like of course this is the guy who did top secret he just totally sold that that movie took place like almost outside of the shooting of that movie like the whole like they had such a good time on that movie that i don't even know if they even captured half of it because like, <laughs> they were really just like would hang out every day and yeah it feels it. around yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do next what do you have um you do music as well yeah what, what do you enjoy more music or acting or is it all one expression kind of i'd say probably the music is more of an instant gratification um but it's also more of like i'm not in any rush to put anything out with that um and you know always be tinkering and doing that Uh, you know could expect a release in the next like two years or something but um in terms of the acting stuff i just want to i just want to work and i think in this place now where trying to get back to like what we were talking about back to my kind of teenage enthusiasm for it um and you know i've just been i've been watching a lot of tv and a lot of comedies and yeah a lot of them going back and watching a lot of the stuff that got me into doing it and i don't take it as seriously i'd like to do more 
you know, like doing this TV show that I'm doing right now. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, someone, a friend of mine was telling me he's a music video director. And he was, we had this conversation once when we were really fucked up in, in high school. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, I just want to get old enough. So I'm not concerned about aesthetics so much. And I'm, I'm not so stylized. Like I can just, I can just focus on story and, you know, make like phantom thread or something where you sort of make focus on like, you, you get old enough where you're not sort of trying to keep up with the, uh, whatever's in style. Yeah. And you're more, you more just think about story and that's sort of where I'm at now where I'm like, not too concerned about aesthetics and what's cool. I'm just more like, I want to do good stories and um, do camp stuff and, <laughs> and work, you know? And then, um, and then I really enjoy my downtime. So whatever I get from working, I'll just put it into my own stupid projects and you know maybe i'll release one of those one day you know yeah um but before i go tell me what music what music do you listen to who who inspires you well let's um i don't know maybe i got these records i think this is a good place to start (laughs) right here yeah let's let's go over a little what's in my bag yeah 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 i um i went i've been record shopping a lot more um out of boredom and yeah okay so we'll start with a, a classic either or elliot smith my favorite of his this is a classic um record it's got my favorite song ballad of big nothing on it i love the back um, artwork as well on that yeah look the, at this the, 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 like the xerox almost yeah yeah and i realized that there's actually every song on references LA and I'm away from home right now. So it's really like making me think of home. And then this record, I was excited to find this on vinyl. It's called it's them. And if you, do you oh, recognize the singer? Band. Van the man. Is that, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out <laughs> so to we can Eugene put it... <laughs> for going to see him live. <laughs> I don't yeah, even know out. if it was ironic or what, but if we put his politics aside for a second, he um he was doing his weird Irish thing, but yeah. with like a, a early Rolling Stones vibe. So there's, you know, you just can't win is like a cracking, um, sixties rock and roll song. Um, yeah. So I've never found seen this on vinyl. So that's cool. And then this, they had a little listening booth. Yeah. In this record shop, and I found this, and I was drawn to the cover. Whoa! It's a butt. It's an eighties butt. It's a yeah. very sweat, sweaty eighties bum. How does how does it sound? And so it's like I've got to hear this. And um, there's two. It's a disco record, and it's made in 1980. There's two cracking like disco, like psychedelic disco mm. songs on that that are like LCD sound system drum beat vibes. Vibe. Yeah vibes that are just like really sick so pick that up you know that's so good there it is <laughs> i saw elliot smith before he died at um one of his oh, last yeah. shows and he was really fucking high and it was really no, me- yeah. <laughs> it was really messy and ba- messy and bad yeah. and he brought his girlfriend out to dance on some songs and she was just like awkwardly twirling and stuff. And I was like, this is really peculiar. But then he like cut the shit and just played the best version of Between the Bars and just broke everyone's heart and then just left. So he brought it Dude, back. That's so heavy to be like, this is enough fun. Mm-hmm. This has been such a nice conversation. Yeah, I... I- this is great. Um, thanks for having me on and making the time for notes later for you. No, so it, I kind of like it. My, my camera's been getting darker as we've been talking. It's a real, it's good aesthetics here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah notice that.
Great. Well, lovely to meet you and um, and catch up. Let's uh, let's do it again. Yeah, man. Let's stay in touch. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Have a good day, buddy. Cheers. Take All care. Right. Bye. Boom. Me and Jack Kilmer. What a beautiful guy. That's it from me. Thanks to my podcast engineer, Ewan Henselwood. Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And you guys for listening. Stephen T. Hanley, Deep Printer Movies, signing out.